Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brundick, and today I'm joined with Coleman Ford, who's an author, teacher, and speaker. So stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone, to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike. Today, I'm joined with Coleman Ford, who is an author, teacher, and speaker. He currently teaches at Texas Baptist College in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And excited for this conversation today, we talk all about Christian formation, um, being formed in God's image. His latest book, Formed in His Image, is available. And we talk about... Uh, finding ourselves in the nature of God, understanding our life as a Christian and how we are being formed um, by other forces, um, some on our own volition and some not on our own volition. But, you know, the cultural ethos of our age, the spirit of the age is impacting the way that we live our life and practice our faith. And so he encouraged us to consider the union really dwelling in Christ as Christ is in us. And so we look at the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit as really a guiding root of how we are formed and shaped as Christians. And so very excited for this conversation today, all about spiritual formation, which is an incredibly important part of the Christian life, which unfortunately um, has lost its flavor. Uh, and in some sense, out of laziness, uh, Coleman says, and I would agree with as well, among other factors, but Let's uh, come back and remember uh, the importance of our faith and how we are constantly being sanctified um, and are growing in our faith. And so without further ado, here's my conversation with Coleman. I'm glad to be here, Tyler. Thank you. Yes. And so um, I'm really excited and love the work that you're doing with, you know, uh, Christian discipleship, formation. Um, really thinking about the inner life, right, of, of our Christian mm-hmm. life and experience. And so um, we were just sharing. I had some other, uh, I had Jared and Justin on who were just, you know, around your neck of the woods in the Argyle, Denton, Texas area. And so love that there's a heart for discipleship and formation, it sounds like, in, uh, in that area, which is super encouraging. So with that being said, we'd just love for, you know, listeners to get to know you a little bit more and, um Obviously, you know, you're acutely focused in Christian formation. So just how you um, have got you know, interested, involved in that and what, you know, were some of the important experiences and formation throughout your life that have really impacted uh, the way that you see it now? Well, that's a great question, Tyler. Well, um, yeah, so we're in the North Texas area, as you mentioned. Uh, grew up in this area. This is home. It's been home. We've really uh, only lived out of this area for just a handful of years, so mm-hmm. uh, it's been a uh, yeah, it's just been a formative place for us. Uh, and you talk about the idea of spiritual formation. Um, I think about place, uh, that kind of idea of place, and uh, it's very important for us to consider where we're from, where God has placed us, how we are to be used in the place that we are called to, or that we are kind of. We're placed in, if I can say it that way. Sure. Uh, doesn't mean you can't move. Doesn't mean you can't go and do other things uh, uh, in different places. But it is something that's very important to consider. So when I think about that, uh, I think about yeah, I have a family that's here. So I've got three kids. I've got a wife named Alex. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we love doing things around here. We love being involved in the local church and uh, other opportunities. And 
Uh, it's something that as I've grown up in this area, uh, I've seen both the pros of being in sort of a Christianized culture. I've also seen the cons of maybe taking that for granted and seeing how that has shaped us in some ways that are not always healthy or maybe we've assumed certain things. And in some ways, uh, in the best way, I'm not trying to make any sort of uh, punches here, but just some of us have grown lazy. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the kind of discipleship, as we mentioned, and formation mm -hmm. has uh, become a little lax in some mm -hmm. ways. And so, uh, yeah, as I think about formation, as I think about that idea, I want to think about what are the things around us that have shaped us to believe certain things and to mm -hmm. do certain things, both for good and for ill, and, uh, and then explore those things and unpack them and bring them in light with scripture and theology mm. and the history of the church. I think about how Christians throughout the ages considered these things, even though we might have lived in different eras of uh, history, there's a lot of similarities. Uh, mm. There's also some things that we need to consider uniquely for our culture and how uh, Christian establishment formation addresses those things. Hmm. So, yeah, that's a mouthful. Yeah. We'll talk more about that, but that's a little bit about who I am and what, sure. what I do. Yeah, no, that, that, that's great. And I think maybe perhaps first defining the difference or the similarities between discipleship and Christian formation, right? And so, I, I don't know, perhaps they're, they share a lot of commonality, perhaps there's a little bit of distinction. Would you m maybe just kind of inform us the way you've, you know, interpreted and see the difference between Christian formation, spiritual formation, and how that, yeah, kind of is with discipleship? Yeah, Tyler, that's a, that's a good question. Very perceptive because I think that's a question a lot of people ask is why these terms, do they matter? Should we define them differently? And the way that I describe it is, is simply two sides of the same coin. So every Christian is a disciple, a disciple of Jesus Christ, which mm -hmm. is a learner, a follower, sort of that classical understanding of someone who is in the school of Christ and mm -hmm. uh, wanting to follow the, the teachings of Christ. But also, of course, for Christians, that's more than just following teachings. That's mm -hmm. Uh, a, a deeply spiritual reality that we are united to Christ by faith. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we are disciples in that way. We're choosing, right? We've been baptized. We've committed our life. We're mm. you know, swearing allegiance to Jesus as Lord yeah. and not something else. So, so we're all in some general sense disciples, uh, and we're all doing that uh, essentially in the same way, uh, at least with the same sort of understanding that's been present throughout church history. Mm -hmm. And when I think about spiritual formation, uh, there's a little bit of difference that adds, or maybe some other flavors, I should say, that come into that. Uh, when we think about spiritual formation, we think about, again, place. Where are we? Some of us are in West Africa. Some of us are in West Texas. And so what is the formational things that are taking place in those contexts hmm. that we need to consider? And then, of course, apply timeless biblical truth to those things. And then also think about different ways in which the church is called to essentially shape and form their disciples. Hmm. So, of course, we have time-tested, biblically proven ways of doing that through sure. preaching, teaching, uh, psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms, as Paul talks about, hmm. uh, and other things. But spiritual formation really accounts for the uh, different, almost cultural, but also hmm. uh, things in which people are embedded, and therefore we speak into that with biblical truth, yeah. theological doctrine, uh, and, and really t talk about how to shape that person's soul. It also has to do with emotions. Right. Uh, I was talking with a friend recently who's written a book on this topic that formation has a lot to do with our emotions, a lot to do with 
uh, wrestling with our identity and bringing those things in line with uh, with scripture as well as just dealing with the implications based on who we are. I mean, mm-hmm. Tyler, your life and background is different than mine. Mm-hmm. Our formation is going to be different because of that. Yeah. The emotional responses we have to certain things are going to be different. We're both called to have the same sort of outlook or perspective being Christian disciples. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the way in which the Spirit's going to work in your life, in the context of your local church, with the community around you, uh, must look different than the way that that uh, plays out in my life. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about spiritual formation, it, it's attempting to unpack a little bit more of those things and bring them into clarity for uh, the individual who is a disciple of mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. So we'd love to kind of press up, you know, into, I guess, Christian formation. I think that's kind of the lane and avenue, you know, in which your book is focused on and I think is, is certainly important. Um, and you mentioned, you know, I think some some laziness perhaps that we've, you know, stepped into or, um, you know, by choice and maybe perhaps sometimes not by choice by some kind of undercurrents going underneath us that have shifted us into a particular direction. And so I would love just to kind of, you know, from your research study and, you know, kind of pulling in from church history, from timeless truths and throughout scripture, um, what are some, maybe some of the, 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 the formative forces that maybe we should reconsider that have kind of, you know, contributed to this laziness and what kind of the, the way forward looks like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're, I use the word laziness. I think that definitely is a, a part of it. And you mentioned sort of unknown or sort of uh, the undercurrent of things that are happening in the background, sort of background noise or just mm. cultural things that we don't necessarily control, but are there mm. uh, and we need to account for. And so uh, with that in mind, um, yeah, I look, I look to, uh, a guy like Augustine, who I've done a lot of my PhD mm. studies and sort of writing in, and I think about his own life. Uh, I think about the almost uh, one for one, although not truly, but a lot of similarities that I see in my own heart and life. Uh, grew up with a mom who was devoutly religious, who was sort of like praying and dragging him to Sunday school and mm. you know trying to get him in front of pastors to sort of get the um, you know you know pray, pray the hell out of him that kind of thing. Um, sure. And, but, but living in a culture that was very much um, acclimated to seeking success, uh, mm-hmm. seeking wealth and fame, mm-hmm. and his father was trying to promote him and get him schooling, get him to the best schools, get him to, sort of in front of the, the powerful and the elite of society so that he could make a name for himself, build a family, build a fortune. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially, uh, the, the Roman dream, which is now the American dream. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, those are the kind of undercurrents, I think, that are within our society. And I mm. think about even where we're at in, uh, you know, sort of Southern, uh, the, the South, you know, Texas being a part of that kind of culture mm. to where um, Christianity is an add-on to the life of success, right? Uh, not in every culture now, but in still mm. a lot of places where we live uh, as part of sort of your success profile. Are you a good human? Uh, are you moral? And that most likely means like, basic church attendance uh, or some kind of loose uh, affirmation of Christian ideals. Uh, so do you have the right bumper sticker, right? Or do you have the right sure. sort of uh, 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 rhythm of life every Christmas and Easter? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the kind of idea. But then, of course, that's not the main part of your life. The main part of your life is, again, seeking the success, climbing the ladder, uh, making your family look nice and polished. And um, that's, that's, a, that's a cultural undercurrent that, that mm-hmm. really... 
in a lot of ways has damaged um, how faithful Christian discipleship is not, is meant to be sought after. Not that you shouldn't mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. attention to some of those things and think mm-hmm. about uh, family and career and those kind of uh, uh, responsibilities. But all of those things historically, biblically, are meant to be brought under uh, the reign of God uh, and the kingdom of Christ. How are you seeking to serve Christ in your vocation? How are you seeking to uh, minister to your family as kind of that first church, so to speak, as Mm -hmm. Martin Luther and some of those reformers discussed it? Uh, And then how are you yourself attending to the things of your soul, making sure that you are loving God and loving others? Uh, None of those things are disconnected. That's a part of a holistic approach to a life that the scriptures sort of uh, illuminate as to how God's people are meant Mm -hmm. to to walk and to be. I think about a a very basic text for that, Deuteronomy 6, Hmm. the Shema of the the people of God, you know, uh, sort of that creedal statement, our Lord is one, our God is one. But then from there, it spells out, as you go, teach these things to your children, bind them uh, around you, you on your doorposts. This idea of having the word of God infiltrate all of your life, both in your personal life, Mm -hmm. family life, work, vocation life, and uh, so those are the, those are the things that we need to think about recovering. Uh, we mm-hmm. have been recovering, I think, but in lots of spaces. So I don't think I'm the first one to think about this right. or say this. But uh, again, speaking from my unique vantage point, um, I, I see this in my own heart. Mm-hmm. A desire to, uh, you know, pursue this area of my life apart from the spiritual component of that, uh, if I can say it that way. Right, right. So uh, this is yeah, this is a topic that is near dear to my heart because mm-hmm. I see it in my own heart wanting to do these things uh, apart from a grander vision of God's glory. No, I think that that's good. I think there's this trying to resist this compartmentalized faith, that faith Mm -hmm. is something that is, yeah, this like you said, an add on or something that we consider after we kind of get our financial success in line. Then this is something that can be an attribute of that, right. Or help to maybe even get us further along in our, you know, our own kind of worldly, inner desires which may or may not really align with god's vision of uh of the kingdom and for his glory and so there's i mean there's a lot of things i would love to to jump in on and i think you know for in your new book which is available now formed in his image um you look at a a couple of key components that i think christian or non-christian we look to and so you, you identify beauty imagination and then the good life um, and so these are, you know, some have considered maybe quests to attain or, or virtues to kind of embody or o- overall orientation to kind of view f- almost a philosophy of life. And so, um, but I think, you know, there's, there's a Christian understanding and interpretation of these um, that then kind of makes sense of the world. And so would love to kind of unpack a little bit, you know, why you chose these kind of different aspects and what, mm-hmm. how that kind of has helped guided, you know, the Christian formation. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that it's, uh, it's almost a universal appeal, uh, hmm. this quest, uh, which I love that idea, journey quest. That's why it's, it's that whole idea is prevalent throughout literature amongst the ages, hmm. uh, right? Even, you know, the, the most recent Marvel movie is a quest movie, right? Or the most recent, um, in some ways, romantic comedy. It's a journey, right. it's a quest. Right. Uh, of course, the, a lot of the components of that has changed. It's much more about, you know, what's inside yourself, follow your heart. Sure. Uh, we can talk about that, whether or not that's the best way to do it. But 
But either way, it does touch a sort of universal theme that we're all looking to find meaning. Uh, and as philosophers, and you know, kind of as you indicated, have termed this sort of the good life. You know, we all desire the good life. And I think about even some of the solutions out there, if I can use it that way. Uh, you mentioned virtue. So maybe, maybe the solution is I just need to be a more virtuous person. Uh, I need to be more just. I need to be more prudent. Uh, I need to um, you know, find some social causes or something, some hashtags to add to my profile. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some, there's some good qualities there. There's some good things there. Uh, and I would argue that virtues are important. Uh, of course, I would say... Uh, only virtues as they are oriented on Christ mm-hmm. make the most sense from the scriptures. Mm-hmm. But you even think about like um, like a popular teacher today, you know, Jordan Peterson. You know, the reason mm-hmm. his book Twelve Rules for Life is an international bestseller mm-hmm. is because it just tells people here this here's the stuff you need to do to have a good life. Here's the stuff that you need to do to be intentional about living. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, he's not doing anything new. Uh, you know, Stoic philosophers have been doing that for. Mm-hmm. Uh, ages before him, Marcus Aurelius and others yeah. writing with, uh, uh, works that just kind of say, hey, get out of bed, you know, uh, face the day, uh, right. and, and kind of be a man. <laughs> you know, kind of no, the, the yeah. solution of those things. Yeah. Uh, which sounds great, sounds appealing. Um, the problem there is uh, what happens when something happens, you know, a, a sort of tragedy and then an interior sort of issue arises. Um, I would say those things, those philosophies don't aren't able to properly deal with those mm. apart from being non-biblical at their core. Um, but those are the answers that people are seeking mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or they're finding rather. So when you think about mm. the idea of beauty, the good life, uh, the transcendentals, sort of this, uh, these irreducible qualities that everyone can, I think say, yes, they exist unless there's some very, uh, ultra nuanced postmodern philosopher or something. Mm-hmm. Um, they all say these exist. Um, and then for the Christian, they would say, mm-hmm. we would say, they exist because God exists. That's who he is. He is beauty. He is good. He is true. Uh, and those aren't components of who he is. He is one old being mm-hmm. who is those things. And so when we see beauty in the world, it's because, well, God created that. Or mm-hmm. there's something about that rem- that reminds us of something deeper and that we can't get our uh, can't get our mind and our heart around, but we know that there's an ache there. There's something mm-hmm. that's longing there. Uh, and of course, without a orientation to Christ, mm-hmm. we're going to seek after things that are not ultimate. Right. They might they might be good in some senses, like a, a, a basic philosophy of virtue or something, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. you know, kind of live a good life and have a good family. But at the end of the day, those things will never ultimately bring fulfillment that they're seeking uh, to attain. And so, yeah, I mean, that's yeah, that's yeah. basic gospel one hundred and one. But at the right. same time, I think when you think about that with formation. Because the answer that uh, the church, I'll say evangelical churches, mm-hmm. often give to this question is sort of here's here's the next Bible study, here's the next charismatic speaker, and uh, here's the next church movement that's going to solve all those problems. And as good as some of those things may be, um, we know that there are also there's also temptations there to see that as a, a false story uh, that charismatic speaker though his Bible's open, is not going to save you. Uh, that church movement, though might be planting thousands of churches, is not going to save you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not the ultimate. Uh, those are all expressions of what is the mm-hmm. ultimate at, at some level. And so when we think about that, I think yeah. it's helpful to frame formation around the aim of our life is to behold the beauty of God. 
Mm -hmm. uh, we desire the good life. That's not a bad thing to say. We desire happiness. That's not a bad thing to say. But uh, how we see that or how we inform that or how we pursue that, that's what matters. And mm -hmm. so when I talk about that and set those ideas up in the book, uh, that's, that's really what I'm trying to get at. Right. These are okay to pursue. Here's how we do it. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think one of the important aspects that you've, that you look at and spend some time in, and I think is really as a fresh reminder for many uh, Christians, evangelical Christians in particular, is the nature of God and finding ourselves in the divine nature and as made in his image, made in his image, right? So father, son, spirit, the relation of the Trinity, the triune nature of God, the relationship between the three persons and how we are, I'm thinking of almost, you know, John 15 being the vine, mm -hmm. right? This dwellingness, abiding. And so can you discuss a little bit more of, you know, the, the formation in his image, right? Of mm -hmm. father, son, spirit. And why, why it's so significant? Because I, I believe it yeah. is, but I, I don't know if a lot of Christians or listeners are so familiar with that, right? Because it is yeah. kind of a mystery too, so... Yeah. Well, I go back to also, again, the, the, the context that I'm in, which might be very similar to a lot of Western Christian contexts to where a lot of times doctrine is assumed. Mm. It's on a website somewhere. Uh, your church kind of checks that box. And I'm sure. not saying that in a sort of uh, casual way, but that doesn't always infiltrate into the life of the preaching, yeah. teaching, yeah. and discipleship of the church. So, yeah, Christians are Trinitarian, right? Or other, otherwise, we wouldn't be Christian. Um, and so the problem, though, is are we unpacking that implication? Uh, Trinitarian theology is not just for systematic theology class for the few elite people who might end up going to seminary. Trinitarian theology is for all Christians because that's who our God is. And if that's the case, then why are we not unpacking that more in its practical implications for spiritual life? Um, and so, yeah, you kind of mentioned or hinted at this idea of participating in the divine nature which comes from Second Peter chapter 1. Hmm. Uh, and that's a scary thing, because a lot of times uh, we're not quite sure what that means. Right. Peter just kind of casually mentions that as if we should know what that means. Uh, and you're like, thanks, Peter. I know you're an apostle, but I'm not. Can you please help me <laughs> yeah. out? Um, right. And, right. But if nothing else, here's what it means. It means that we're in Christ. Uh, we're united to Christ by faith. Hmm. And at some level, both in the sort of uh, through a glass darkly right now, but also in eternity, we are in the life of God. And uh, that is profound. And uh, hmm. just saying that should cause us to tremble <laughs> and, and get goosebumps. Yeah. But um, huh. unpacking that practically, I think, is, is what the church is called to do. And so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, not that I feel like I've solved that problem or given all the solutions, because then it wouldn't be mysterious as God is. Mm -hmm. But I just want to say, hey, look, if, if God is Trinity, let's think about what that looks like in our, our daily life as well as our, our life of community. And that's actually primarily where it should be spelled out is in the life of the community, the local church. And so I think Charles Spurgeon has a quote uh, that I use in the book that, mm -hmm. you, know, uh, the, you know, God is Trinity is knowing God is Trinity is the key to all theology. And, and I would say that's the key to all of life. And so... Um, do, do we have communities, local churches that are showing forth aspects that we see in the life of the triune God, at least explained in scripture, right? That, that the father and son are one. Do we have unity in the church? I mean, we'll talk about that. Uh, we, we strive for that, I hope. 
Right. Uh, but is that is that an ongoing desire? Uh, in some ways, it's already true. You know, mm-hmm. all those who are, uh, you know, who confess faith as Christ have been given the Spirit. Mm-hmm. We're united, but then practically, are we seeking and living out that unity? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one question. Are, are we showing sort of the equality that's with uh, mm-hmm. inherent within the Trinity? That Father, Son, and Spirit are co-equal, co-eternal. Um, are, are we demonstrating that? As Paul says, right, there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, but all are one in Christ. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean we all do the same things, right? There's giftings, there's roles, I mean, we can mm-hmm. talk about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even within the Trinity, there's roles within the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the Father uh, sort of originates the plan of creation and the plan of redemption. The Son um, um, completes that, and then the Spirit applies that and sort of manifests mm-hmm. that in the life of the Church. And of course, this is just ways that historians and theologians throughout history have, have tried to talk about <laughs> what we know right. about God in scriptures. Um, and what we need to do, especially thinking about church history, is not forget that, not just jettison that because uh, it's 2023 and we can think of new ways to talk about it. No, let's actually go back to 325 AD <laughs> and mm. think about yeah. how these men actually really thought about this biblically, seriously, and try to capture that. Um, and then, yeah, just think about how to inject that into the life of the church. Hmm. Do, do people hear about God as Trinity? Do they pray to God as Trinity? Do they sing to God as Trinity? I would say generally that probably happens, but specifically hmm. are we thinking about it? And I think more often than not, if you were to step into maybe even in my area where I'm in, into a local church, it, it could be the case. I mean, I'm, I don't want to, I'm not sure. It's a general assessment. Um, that the, that the worship might be more kind of Unitarian in flavor, hmm. sort of uh, God generally, uh, mm-hmm. or it's just all about Jesus, which that sounds heretical to say. Yes, it is all about Jesus in some ways, but in other ways, we need to consider the triune God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, is it, yeah, it, it, what's the shape of your liturgy in your church? Is it Trinitarian? Uh, do people walk away hmm. with the, the, the words of God, Father, Son and Spirit on their lips um, and in their hearts. So that doesn't mm-hmm. mean you recite the creed every Sunday. That doesn't mean that you have to have a, a, a Trinitarian theology lesson in the pulpit. In fact, that's not the, the whole reason to do that. But mm-hmm. it just helps us think through, that's who our God is. Are we seeking mm-hmm. to emulate, to explicate, to really draw that out? Mm-hmm. Um, or are we just assuming that the people who show up know what that's about? Most likely they don't. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, well, I think that's the question is, how do we reflect that? How do we reflect the nature of God as Christians, right? Little Christ are people who are to live and follow after Jesus Christ. Um, and so I'm trying to think, you know, both individually in our own walks, but then also I think you mentioned some of the, you know, in our church or our corporate gatherings, right? How we can, you know, how to, so to speak, do that, right? Um, what are maybe some encouragements or some areas we can press into that mm-hmm. are maybe a little foreign or maybe maybe just need a little more affirmation and continued, you know, uh, practice, mm-hmm. I guess would be the right word. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's numerous things I would right. say there, Tyler. I mean, right. I mean, practically speaking, I think, uh, it, it, let's just say if you're a, a pastor or a worship minister listening to this or mm-hmm. someone who's tasked with that mm-hmm. uh, as a volunteer, um, you know, don't be afraid to stretch back a little bit in the church history. Uh, I mentioned you don't have to say the creed, but let's 
read it and think about how is this coming across in our worship. Right. Um, you know, uh, it, it, are these elements being displayed uh, in, in our worship setting? Uh, and so that so so yeah. So that just means are you attentive to the idea of liturgy, which depending on your tradition is either a dirty word <laughs> or uh, yeah. or at least it's loaded uh, right. in other ways. Right. Um, I, though this is not the point of the book, I, I would definitely argue for at least a comfortable sort of settledness of saying liturgy is good. Here's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be static, same for every church. Mm-hmm. It means we are attentive to the, the reading and the proclamation of scripture. We're attentive to uh, songs that are uh, theological yet formative. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're attentive to the body of Christ, meaning that it's not just going to be the pastor who's doing it all the time. Mm-hmm. It's going to be uh, lay members coming up and reading text, right. serving different ways. Uh, and then just overall, the scope of a worship mm-hmm. is, is the gospel communicated in that, is the whole sort of mm-hmm. um, creation, fall, redemption, consummation story of Scripture at some level communicated. Mm-hmm. And then also, are we attentive to the idea that we're not there yet? So confession. Um, having time of confession, not uh, a sense of scrubbing ourselves to be clean, but just to recognize that our sin is contrary to the life that God has called us into, and then to confess that corporately and individually, mm. and then to have the pastor or leader remind us of the gospel promise. And then as we take the Lord's Supper, which I would advocate as often as possible, uh, weekly, uh, though that's not a hill I'm going to die on, um, it's your, you're tangibly holding the reminders of the gospel you're tangibly reflecting on the life, death, resurrection of Christ, and the future return of Christ. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so um, these are all, I mean, these are things that the right. church has had since the beginning. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we throw them out, again, for pragmatic reasons. So that's kind of the boogeyman that needs to be slayed in a lot of these conversations. Mm-hmm. It's the boogeyman of pragmatism. Uh, it doesn't mm-hmm. work. Uh, not that you might need to think about that sometimes, but that is not the leading voice in the conversation. The leading voice in conversation for a Christian spiritual formation is not does it work, but is it good, is it beautiful, is it true? Mm. And if that's what we're leading with, then I think that mm. we're going to be able to work through this in a much more mm. healthier way. Right. So can you, I think that last term I think was useful, pragmatism. Can you explain a little bit more of just kind of how that's shaped or what the reasons have been? Uh, I guess, yeah, you mentioned a little bit, right? Just to do it mm-hmm. so that it works, but is there a little more to that? Yeah, um, well, I, you know, the whole philosophy of pragmatism is, is one whole thing, but as it's kind of sort of been the uh, main conversation partner in uh, evangelicalism, mm-hmm. uh, it's essentially been for reasons of, I think, uh, that started in the right way. Can mm-hmm. we get people into the doors? Can mm-hmm. we get souls saved? Right. Um, but have since again taken over the driver's seat. Right. Uh, and it's been steering the conversation right. to where if that's the main, it's a, it's a great goal, but if that's the main goal, then it's going to shift the culture of a church. So mm-hmm. if it's just to get butts in the seats, right. then um, you're going to do anything you can to make that happen. Let's give away a bass fishing boat. Uh, let's give away an iPad to everyone who comes in. Uh, those are extreme examples, although those have been used or those have been done. Yeah. Um, right. And if nothing else, it just waters down liturgy. Hmm. to where it makes it as palatable as possible for the most amount of people. Now, I'm not for overcomplicating liturgy. I'm not for, you know, just jargonizing everything. 
but Christians in history have never apologized for this is what we do uh, until very recently. Uh, and in yes. fact, they've, they've kind of said, hey, we do these things, and here's mm. the theology, here's the scripture behind it. Like early apologists in the second and third century, yeah. they're explaining these things in great detail to people who would have had no idea of its rich theological significance, but not to water it down, to sort of bring those people up, mm-hmm. right? to bring those hearers right. up to, here's the God of the universe who's created all things, and in his son, he's given redemption, and by the power of his spirit, he's making this thing happen. Uh, and there's been no apology for that. So, so pragmatism has said, hey, we don't need theology to rule. We don't need doctrine to be at the forefront. Mm-hmm. We need um, things that will draw people in. We need speakers who can uh, wow a crowd. Right. Uh, we need certain things that will just keep people in the doors. The problem with that, though, is whatever you use to get people there, you have to continue to use to keep them there. And so hmm. uh, sort of the philosophy of hmm. once we get them in, we'll disciple them. Well, what you brought in were people that were just looking for a show. Hmm. Uh, and apart from the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, which I know has happened in the midst of those situations, yeah. uh, they're just going to keep wanting the show. And when the show dies or when there's a better show in town, they're going to flock to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or they're just going to say, you know, I don't need the show because the show that I want is streaming on my iPhone. And therefore, I don't need this. Uh, which is kind of what you see today, yeah. and so yeah. there's a re. I think there needs to be a, a necessary reevaluation of, yes, sort of tools and tactics, you know, that might be helpful, um, yet not to the devaluation hmm. of uh, tr- true and, and biblically tested worship liturgy and, uh, and, and and Christian spiritual formation as it happens corporately. No, that, that's very comprehensive. And so thank you. I was just reminded of, I think, Romans 1, 16, right? I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto, unto salvation to everyone that yeah. believes, right? And that's so, right. yeah, there's this, I think, and oftentimes we do compromise or we do try to get someone in the door so that later, I kind of like how you describe that, so that later then they'll kind of come around to greater knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. But I think we've seen, right, churches that have, shifted away from you know uh the seeker sensitive or the the get the people in the door model and have gone more and have tried to kind of reform the church and you've seen a lot of folks leave which kind of questions their initial entrance in the first place i think in some i don't know i gotta be careful there but you're right so i think oftentimes the um we do compromise our what works and what we've seen seem to work because of um you know, the numbers and the, the continued growth and programs that when, uh, it may, may not always be the best metrics, right? That mm-hmm. define the beauty, define the good life. Yeah. yeah so. Well, if I could think of one recent example, um, I can't remember the author, but there's a, a recent article on Christianity Today that was highlighting the two ministries, one of uh, Tim Keller, who recently passed, mm-hmm. and uh, Carl Lentz, the former pastor of Hillsong, mm-hmm. uh, New York City, and sort of just comparing their rise, so to speak. So Tim Keller was that sort of humble, uh, you know, almost nerdy <laughs> type individual. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he's probably, he was a self-professed nerd, but um, <laughs> it just kind of plowed the ground. He was in a seminary context for a long time yeah. and then uh, was sort of coaxed or pulled or just didn't feel like he wanted to plant in New York, but eventually felt that call. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so just kind right. of a, a, a sort of a reluctance to do that. Uh, and then just slowly plant, slowly 
find uh, what, what his context was and, and really kind of uh, identify the people that were in the church and then slowly disciple them. Hmm. Uh, versus a, a, another individual who, uh, much younger and sort of platformed in this sort of speaking gifts that this person had and, uh, you know, charisma, connection, right? Hanging out with movie stars, living in high-rise apartments and just sort of like living a certain lifestyle for Jesus. Um, and whereas being a sort of unknown, nerdy type pastor doesn't guarantee you uh, uh, you know, uh, exempt from sin or a moral fall, mm. it, there are some interesting contextual things, and that also points to interior things about certain individuals that demonstrate whether or not that's going to go well. Uh, so yeah, you have sort of the experience of a person speaking, uh, lights, smoke, you know, kind of a club scene almost, mm. and then just the sort of old, dusty type liturgy um, yet filled with the spirit, mm-hmm. filled with truth, um, that is, and, and that actually cares about the souls of people, mm-hmm. um, and, and just kind of see where those things go. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. not to cast aspersions at anyone, but just that article, uh, yeah. that recent article was very interesting to sort of compare those two to see, in some sense, the, the mm-hmm. practical output of, of each of those mm-hmm. sort of ministries. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very telling and, and continues to be a lesson to learn today. Mm-hmm. No. Well, thank you. And um, I pray and hope that this is impactful and that listeners, you know, are considering our spiritual formation. I was just mm-hmm. reflecting on, you know, James K. Smith, you are what you love, right? Power of mm-hmm. habit and how we're, are, we are being shaped by what we love and the habits we cultivate and, yeah, our identity and how we find ourselves in, in God's nature as well. And That's so, right. yeah. Um, yeah, I just would love folks to, you know, learn more about you and, mm-hmm. um, you know, stay connected, you know, find where they can find a copy of the book and anything else you'd like to add. Yeah. But so I, uh, I'm fairly active on social media, not, uh, voraciously, but, uh, I, I keep a Twitter account and Instagram and Facebook. So, mm-hmm. uh, would love for listeners to connect with me there. Um, I, I, I tweet about nerdy things, uh, and okay. theological things. So if that rings the bell for you, uh, feel free to do okay. that. Um, also have a website that I, I blog at it's coleman-ford.com mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah if there's ever a need that someone has for speaking or consulting mm-hmm. uh, I can be found there and contact inf- information is on that website mm-hmm. uh, and then yeah as far as the book goes it's uh, literally google it see what pops up Amazon Lifeway uh, your favorite bookseller sure. um, it should be found there so yeah, this uh, excited to connect with people about it. If, if you read it and want to engage it with me via social media or on my website, I would I would be thrilled. That mm-hmm. would just be a dream come true. So mm-hmm. I'd love for y'all to hit me up on that. Awesome. Well, thank you, Coleman, for your time and sharing a, a little bit more about you and uh, what you've been up to. And so thank you. Thanks, Tyler. Take care.